You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. With the fashion industry in disarray, fashion education is undergoing a radical makeover. What's necessary is a total rethink of what the industry needs and how that change can be achieved by nurturing new talent and future change makers. So how is that change shaping up and what does it mean for your business? To discuss this, I'm joined by Shanu Walpita, trend forecaster and creative strategist working with some of the world's biggest brands and retailers. Shanu is also a lecturer in fashion communication and innovation on the Creative Direction for Fashion course at the London College of Fashion. I'm also joined by Keenan Dufty, award-winning British fashion designer, musician and author. Keenan is also director of the Masters of Professional Studies in Fashion Management course and associate professor of fashion at the New School in New York. How many times can I say fashion in this introduction? And I'm also joined by Emily Gordon-Smith, director of consumer product at Stylus. So welcome to you all. Now, there's lots of change happening when it comes to fashion education, and clearly you are both in the thick of this, but I wonder if you could give us some context about this need for radical change from a commercial perspective. Let's start with you, Shanu. What's especially inspiring for me is seeing this new collective determination and energy emerge and how it will shape, hopefully, a more ethical, equitable, and possibly planet-first future for everyone. That's the hope, anyway. And part of what I do as a lecturer is to inspire young people to think this way, I hope. (laughs) And just before I came on this, I found this great quote on Arena, which is a great account on Instagram. And I thought it was quite pertinent to our conversation for today, so I thought I'd read it out very quickly. The next phase of human evolution is all about collaboration, not competition. But the belief that our survival depends on being the fittest is fundamentally entrenched in our language and culture. Instead of being the fittest... We should think about how each of us fits into a complex and collective human endeavor to make the world more beautiful for more people. Keenan, did you agree with all that? <laughs> I, I absolutely concur, yeah. I think, you know, historically, fashion education is really focused on a kind of top-line approach. So learning how to design and market seasonal collections and work within and, and feeding an established fashion system. And fashion's been really taught from a very Eurocentric viewpoint and a Western-based tradition. However, you know, today, as we all know, it, it's, much, it's much more diverse, it's consumer-led, and everyone involved in fashion should be making decisions in the context of how the market is evolving so rapidly. So, you know, for me, the provocation is how can fashion educators and those studying fashion play a role in positively changing the fashion system? And I think that's that's really the key thing is like, how can we all, you know, we're so eloquently said, it's a it's a collaborative approach, you know, that we all should have. And, and Shinu kind of highlighted that. And as educators and as students, as as employers and as employees, we all need to work together in making this next uh, phase of the fashion system truly inclusive for everyone involved in it. Emily, I mean, I I opened the intro by saying the fashion industry is in disarray, and that's why we need to be talking about these things. Perhaps you could sort of give a give a brief overview of why the fashion industry is in disarray and why fashion education needs to sort of step up to the challenge. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, Christian, I think it's worth really highlighting to listeners that I guess it's been for more than 50 years now. It's been about an industry that's all set around, has been, had been set around making as much as you could, as cheaply as you could, with very little thought around by who, how and where things were being made. And, you know, as a result, you know, just to give this all some kind of background context, as a result, the industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet, also with a very poor track record when it comes to ethics and equality. And that's mainly around race, but it's also around gender and age inequality. And yeah, concurring to what Keenan and Shanu have both said, it's, you know, we're seeing rapid change. And a lot of this is very consumer led, particularly, as Shanu says, it's very much kind of elevated or been fast-tracked in terms of where you know what we've gone through in the past year but we're really seeing consumers buying less wanting to buy better and having a clearer conscience when it comes to purchases as well as seeing obviously an industry that's really heavily been hit by shift to online selling and new ways of engaging and consuming products so I think that we've seen already we're seeing a real shift in key roles in the industry and that's definitely a growing trend we put together a report on stylus last year called new rules new roles and there we were highlighting how it's not just about designers having to think differently and about these new priorities in the industry it's about all other kinds of new career opportunities opening up when it comes to sort of new uh, technically driven roles particularly when it comes to material innovations almost kind of scientific roles roles really leading on sustainability and ethics and That really translates to all of the wraparounds within the industry as well as design. So really thinking into broader business strategy as, you know, things like media and marketing and and, and other aspects of, you know, what the industry amounts to in terms of in terms of jobs. What was happening before in terms of fashion education? Why were these why were these issues not being um, addressed? Maybe you could talk us a little bit about what this uh, fashion industry landscape looked like before. Now, what were the previous priorities? Maybe Keenan, you could start. I think that fashion education's really changed considerably. If you go back thirty years, no one knew what a stylist was or or what they did. Today, you can study fashion styling in an undergraduate level and in master's programs all around the world. So I think the, all of these different areas of education and, and learning in fashion have expanded considerably, especially in the last decade. Fashion's become a real career that is understood by parents today, whereas you know, 20, 30 years ago, it seemed very uh, abstract. So parents are actually happier for... Their, their, their offspring to go and study all aspects of fashion. It can be fashion design, it can be fashion marketing, fashion management, so on and so forth. So I think it's become a, a, a kind of more, a traditional career in a sense. However, what, what that's led to is sort of an oversubscription of education that is feeding into a, a system that is sort of overburdened in a way with much of the same. If you look at design graduates around the world, there are tens of thousands that come out of design programs each year. Are there the jobs available for those students? And, and I would sort of question that. In design programs, students are not always shown the other opportunities that might be available to them. Even though they have an, an aesthetic bent, let's say, they, they may be more... Uh, able to be a product developer, for example, which is a kind of intersection of both the creative process 
and the, 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 the management of materials and the management of production and sourcing and so on. And, but having, having said that, what I would encourage them to do is to go into that through a funnel of looking at how sustainable approaches and ethical approaches to those processes can be implemented because that's where the real opportunity is. And I think that's true across the fashion system. There's so much opportunity, frankly, business opportunity for thinkers that are approaching the fashion system in an, in an equitable way, in a sustainable way, in a very conscious way and in a holistic way than there ever has been before. And I think the demand is there from employers for that. And as Emily quite rightly said, there are positions opening up in organisations that didn't actually exist before. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. It's really a, a moment at which fashion education needs to pivot fully into addressing those, those new opportunities by also addressing the systemic issues that are, that are actually uh, making those opportunities viable today. Yeah, Shanu, do you do you have thoughts on this too? Well, I am quite new to the to the lecturing game. I only started just last year, so I can I can't really speak into it as as eloquently or as insightfully as Keenan can uh, with with his experience. But I can kind of talk into my experience from from back in the day when I was a, when I was a student, and I can definitely tell that there's a big difference in the way that we're taught and the learning environment that I experienced back then versus now. I think there was a lot less alignment with industry. A lot of what I work on at LCF is very, very much in partnership with industry to make sure that my students get a real sense of what's actually happening, who's kind of leading change. They can also then be change makers as well, so inspiring them from the inside out. And yeah, pretty much everything that Keenan said, I, I echo, you know, there's all these new opportunities that are kind of bubbling up and it's it's up to us as educators to kind of point them in the right direction and to also be on top of what the changes are. So as a lecturer of innovation and also the, the fact that I still work in industry as a consultant, I think is helpful in making sure that I get a sense of, or like a real sense of what's happening in industry and I can share that with students. So it's not just me being an academic. I want to make sure that I'm still got like a foot in the kind of industry to make sure that it's realistic what I'm talking to them about. And other things that I've noticed that have changed, obviously, I guess, is the kind of democratization of education and information sharing through social media and the kind of uptake on like open resource platforms and stuff like that, that makes it really fascinating for young people to get uh, a, a much more kind of democratic or wider sense of what's happening in the world so <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's interesting what you say there about sort of keeping your foot in in the industry and in reality because obviously you know at the moment in in the UK where the, the news is full of stories of of huge department stores closing down and being bought up by you know potentially rapacious online fast fashion e-commerce brands so there is a reality which is quite starkly in contrast to these ideals of, you know, sustainability and, you know, a future where where fashion is sort of more equitable. So, how when you when you are sort of shaping your your courses, how do you sort of marry those two priorities up, Keenan? How, how do you go about it? Well, I, I began working with Parsons in 2017 to build uh, a Masters of Professional Studies, an MPS in what we call fashion management. And, and that was for, that was, it was kind of aimed at two target consumers, if you like, entrepreneurs who are building an emerging fashion business. And they could have studied undergraduate 
design at Parsons. They graduated, they started a business, they've been doing it for a couple of years, but now they want to kind of add on to that a, a business component, but through, through a lens of ad- addressing all of these systemic issues. And then the other target consumer is an industry professional who's looking to change lanes in their careers and ultimately join the C-suite of a corporation in order to activate real change in fashion. And in both these cases, the MPS was built to empower these future leaders and push them to think in new ways about fashion in its entirety. And so all of the instructors, whether they're part-time or full-time that are involved in the program are working in the industry in some capacity. It's a very real world experience. It's, it's, It's a very, it's a chronological course that runs for one whole year and it moves through uh, a fall semester, which starts by deconstructing the fashion system and then looks at how technology can impact upon sourcing, manufacturing, distribution, storytelling, and so on. And then at the end of the fall, students in a five-week course develop a business idea, which they then present to professionals in the industry. It's kind of like, you know, sort of, I don't know, Kickstarter meets Dragon's Den. And um, we actually worked with a Danish software platform called Peaks, which allows students in real time to build this 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 entrepreneurial idea identify a white space create the idea and then present it to industry professionals so throughout the whole course although we are we have a obviously an idealistic approach to how we would like to see fashion change but it's really anchored in the reality of fashion is a business fashion is an industry fashion is theory but, and this may be controversial to say, I only believe that the theory exists if there's a dress, a beautiful dress there to talk about. If the product isn't there, all of the theorists are talking about something that doesn't exist. So fashion is identified as the fashion business. And I do think that's a very key factor in, in fashion education today. And it differentiates from you know the time when I was in school, which was in the, in the last millennium, where there wasn't really an emphasis on, obviously there was an emphasis on what you're going to do after graduation, getting a job and so on, but there wasn't really an emphasis on how to do that, how to build a business, uh, how to build a career. Actually, I'm saying there wasn't an emphasis. There probably was, but I was too arrogant as a young fashion student probably to pay attention. But I think today, fashion students are really eager for that information. They want to activate change, but they want to do it in a a real-world scenario where they can actually have impact as as an employer, as an employee, as a business owner, and as potentially the president of a corporation. Keenan, I think this is one of the most exciting things about your course, is the idea that people within the industry, and often, you know, you've told me in the past that some of them are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and, you know, have this huge kind of, you know, industry experience, but are coming back to learn and really uh, wanting to engage in the kind of change that's needed and just to kind of reinforce kind of what the system looked like before, you know, the education system and what the end game was. It was it was really all about kind of design focused and feeding that machine. And I think what's so exciting is that you've got these people coming back who are, as you say, potentially are kind of, you know, really highly successful in what they're doing, but are feeling the need to re-educate themselves. And I think that's very it's very symptomatic of the kind of change that is needed and re- very kind of redolent of how 
in many industries, people are having to kind of relook at what education amounts to, and it not just being something that exists at the you know at the beginning part of your life, but is something that you might tap into throughout your life. So, yeah, I think I think your course is particularly exciting on on that basis. What what we found interesting is in we launched in August uh, two thousand nineteen. And the inaugural year had about 250 applicants to 32 places. That first year was entirely on campus. While we were developing the program, we were building an online component to launch in year two, which we did launch last August. But, you know, out of that first cohort, they were, they skewed younger. They were 23 to 27 in the, in the most part. And then there were a few students that were a little bit more mature, maybe in the mid-30s. But once we launched the online component, as a dedicated online component, it wasn't a reaction to the pandemic, we started then to get, I have three professors from other universities that are studying my program. I have several professionals in the industry that are, you know, my age, who are coming back to have a learning experience to sort of reactivate their, 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 their own interest and their shared interest in some of these issues that we're discussing today particularly in a sustainable approach to sourcing and producing and so on, an ethical approach to manufacturing, but also in a, in a pure learning process too. You know, so some students are coming back because at the end they want to create their capstone and maybe further their studies as a PhD candidate. You know, so it's not just learning for the industry, even though I am very industry focused and, and I, that's for me is the outcome actually is because it's a master's in professional studies, the clues in the title, it's for, it, it's a, a professional endeavor ultimately. But it, it's a, I think a fully rounded learning experience where they can actually have that journey, have that, that, that sort of exciting experience of, of, of digging into the, this subject matter purely for the learning experience itself, not to get a job necessarily at the end of it. So it's sort of many fold, but you know, as, as Chanu, Related to it's, it's kind of I think fashion is becoming more more responsible, let's say, about the end game. You know, you can't graduate tons of students and then, you know, three four years down the line, you find that a large percentage couldn't find employment or couldn't launch a business because they actually didn't have the right tools. So we want to really avoid that and actually create these future leaders. And, and hopefully empower them with tools that are, that are relevant for the fashion industry as it's evolving today. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry, no, I, I just wanted to ask you, Shanu, because you, you mentioned you, you've been lecturing for a year. So you've you started in the, the middle of a pandemic, I assume. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so how has that you know, changed your approach or has it changed your approach at all? When it went, you know, as we're talking here about sort of students emerging into the reality of the world, the reality of the world right now is is completely different from how it's been uh, ever before. So have you had to rethink the way that you approach your, your, your subject? Yes, big time. Actually, I just want to say, you know, we're all still learning. So I love that, Keenan, you've got people of all ages getting back and coming back and learning again. Fantastic. But yeah, Sorry, to go back to your, your question, everything changed. So the, the courses that are the units that I lead are heavily industry focused. So we usually partner up with industry. Last, the, the one that I came on actually initially to work with is called Future Directions. And I wasn't meant to stay on. I was just going to come in and lead this one unit and then, then continue with my consultancy life. And that kind of came together exactly a year ago. So I got approached about a year ago 
to come in and lead this, this unit. And it was going to be in partnership with a, a big, I'm not allowed to say who, but a big kind of retailer brand. And we, you know, we had the brief set, we'd, we'd worked on the content, we got everything ready to kind of go live in March. And then the pandemic hit, so everything had to immediately change super quickly. Unfortunately, this, this partnership couldn't go through because they were going through furlough and, and there was all sorts of chaos happening on their, on their side. And so we just had to pivot all the content very quickly. And I decided at that point to change the entire kind of theme from it being analysis of retail and the future of retail to kind of be a, being a more reactive unit to look at what was happening with the pandemic, looking at crisis, looking at uncertainty and flux, and that becoming kind of the onus of the, of the unit. And for students then to kind of lean into the uncertainty rather than being scared of it. And when I kind of first presented this to the students, they were all really freaked out. I got loads of emails from them saying that they didn't want to do it, that they didn't like the pandemic. It was giving them loads of anxiety. And I was like, wait, you know, go with it. Listen to what I'm saying. It's going to be fine. You're going to get through this. We're going to all do it together. It's going to be a really amazing and also really helpful learning experience for you to, to learn how to deal with scary situations because then when you're in industry a lot of stuff can happen nothing is linear nothing is certain you need to be reactive and be able to kind of deal with situations that are really uncertain and by the end of it we we all got together we discussed how we felt and everyone had learned came back learning so much from it and kind of really loved what they I loved what they created as well it was super inspiring the work they came out with was fantastic and just so different and I think it just was a really great experience but then going back to what you're saying about industry, we still put the onus on industry. So we still had people coming in every week who work at brands, at agencies, who do amazing things to come and lead lectures and give students real insight into what's happening, just to prepare them with what's going to come next. And all the other units I, I lead on or I work on, there's a huge emphasis on getting people in to kind of lead best-in-class content for students so that they're constantly connected, but also networking and learning about what the realities are. I think networking is such a dirty word. And my, I, I myself hated it for a long time. I just didn't understand the point of it. But I just realized recently, I think in the last couple, maybe three years, that networking is actually just having conversations and meeting, meeting people and talking to them. And that's what networking is. And if you talk to students and tell them that that's what it is and get people in who are open to having discussions, they can hopefully build their own networks and grow and, and get out there and change the world. Yeah. I think that's great to hear about about the sort of contribution from from brands to to, to these courses. I'd be interested to hear. I mean, obviously, a lot of our listeners will be from brands and fashion brands in particular. So, and maybe Emily, you could you could start answering this. I mean, what can brands and businesses do to to encourage better fashion education to help these students understand the world that they're going to be, you know, coming into? What 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 can brands actually contribute? Do you think? Well, that's it's a good question, Christian, and it's one that we get asked occasionally by our clients, you know, certainly kind of progressive brand clients who really want to kind of think, are thinking really hard about maybe some of these key pillars of concern, which I would highlight as being sustainability and ethics and also inclusivity and diversity and so we we do get asked these questions you know how can they support change I think 
if we uh, let's talk about the diversity and inclusivity issue because I think that's a really key one for me. I've got a few stats actually around this, and these are quite terrifying. I've got some stats specific to black representation in fashion and in higher education. So only one percent of UK university professors are black, and UK domiciled student enrolments by ethnicity showed that in 2019, within the creative arts and design specifically, only three percent of enrolments were black students and well over 80% were white and therefore there's no surprise that only 3% of designers working in the industry right now are black and so we get asked this question how can we make how can we change this within our own business but it's very hard when fundamentally and systemically you're looking at an issue where you've got this huge disparity in terms of representation and so that's really shocking and it has to change and like I say it's exciting that our clients are asking us about this so we've been talking to them about things like sponsorship mentoring creating foundations and schemes to support inclusive initiatives, really to get a more diverse profile from the bottom up. But this means they have to work with the education institution, educational institutions really as a start point, because if we don't do this, we're not going to see the kind of fundamental change that we need happening rapidly enough. You, you two guys as well speak into, into that point, because I think we should also talk about sustain, um, sustainability and ethics. But yeah, this point of diversity and inclusivity in, in, uh, inclusivity in the industry is a huge one. I could talk for a long time about this. <laughs> yeah, I won't, don't worry. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I also had the quote, I mean, the stat of 1% of professors employed in the UK are black, which is shocking. Shocking, And I do agree that decolonization is not just about national or local curriculums. It's about hiring the right people from different perspectives and backgrounds. And if you truly want our future to be anti-racist, it has to start from within. So it has to start with education. And I, I, I wrote an op-ed about this a couple, a couple of months ago, and I had this great quote from Malcolm X, which was, education is the passport to our future. And I really stand by it, and I really think that that is, is what it's about. It's making sure that the, the foundations of education is truly diverse enough to represent a nuanced approach to cultural sensitivity as well. And that's, that, that, for me, is the future. And at LCF, I'm making a, a huge effort to lean into cultural nuance and speak into unlearning and bias. For example, in a research unit that I led last semester, I did a lecture on decolonizing research, and I also collaborated with the brilliant Language Matters to speak with authority on the bias of language, which, again, is such an important topic to kind of lean into and get the kind of the inside of, of what it means to speak a certain way or talk or use certain words. And this is a continued commitment on my part. So all the units that I lead will always offer topics that are worldly, that are not just Eurocentric. And if they are Eurocentric, it will absolutely call that out. And then just collectively at LCF, we're really trying to, to unlearn and rebuild. And I'm definitely not the only one who's doing it. I'm, I'm really proud of my, my colleagues who I can see are making a concerted effort to, to kind of act on the growing need for nuance and cultural sensitivity. And there's also a celebration of multiculturalism, which I feel is really important that it's not just negativity. There's also positivity that can come out of it. And for me, it's all about empowering the youth and the student body. So yeah, this is just for me personally, a really important thing. Other things that I think are really interesting are possibly the rise of like alternative outliers of education. So we've got like on online accounts like 
official millennial black, the conscious kid, the slow factory, and even influencers like Aaron Park, uh, or wait, Aaron Phillips, sorry, who are becoming like key reference points of change and education that sit outside the kind of traditional, I guess, academic circles or whatever it is that you might call it. There's lots of ways to, to kind of get this information. There's also platforms like the Black Curriculum, Rubric Collective, FACE, who are all doing such brilliant things in this space. And as a lecturer and woman of color, I'm really optimistic about the future of, of education, not just, I guess, in institutional platforms, but also all these kind of do-it-yourself platforms online as well. That's actually quite interesting, Shanu, the idea of uh, alternative platforms, because mm-hmm. Again, I've been highlighting to clients that it is worth looking at engaging in alternative platforms and even engendering their own alternative platforms for training, for mentorship. And yeah, really, really, you know, taking taking the matter into their own hands if they really want to make uh, true change. Absolutely. I totally agree. And there's great examples like Mentoring Matters is another great one, which works with brands. So there's, yeah, I think brands can definitely play a huge part in this and make a big difference. We talked a little bit about sustainability here already, but it sounds like obviously sustainability and ethical practices are key areas that need attention in educating the future workforce. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about that. Emily, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, Christian, I would say that it really feels like, very thankfully, sustainability and ethics are really now becoming quite embedded in design courses as key pillars of focus. That's been happening for a number of years. And you can see this in graduate collections and in the work of young designers emerging into the industry. There's lots and lots of great stuff happening with emerging brands and independent designers who've made this their focus, not least people like British designer Bethany Williams, and then in the US, you've got Emily Bode, designers who've really made sustainability their raison d'etre of their labels. So it feels like design students and young designers really are thinking about things like utilising waste, local manufacturing, short runs or made-to-order strategies, and also having a philanthropic aspect to business, like tapping into community initiatives, which is the case with someone like Bethany Williams. And of course, now we are seeing mass brands really educating themselves and change is coming in increments, I would say, week by week, which is really positive. But beyond design, yeah, for Chanu and Keenan to talk into maybe, you know, what's happening on, on your courses in terms of those kind of outcomes beyond, design, you know, straight design courses. Oh, I can start if you want. Addressing sustainable practices and an ethical approach to fashion is one of, it, it really underpins the, the uh, fashion management program itself. And as well as learning with our full-time and part-time faculty, some of whom are real experts in, in these areas, students meet, meet guest speakers, for example. We have uh, Simone Cipriani, who's a very good friend of the program and the founder of Ethical Fashion Initiative, who's come in and spoken to students and actually highlighted the the manufacturing process and the changes that can happen in the manufacturing process by by establishing a a resource for manufacturing in the luxury goods sector, as EFI have done, which allows for considerable margins to be made on product. And then basing that manufacturing in, for example, Haiti or West Africa, where you have artisans who can manufacture and can be trained to manufacture 
high-quality small leather goods for brands like Vivian Westwood and Stella McCartney and Gucci and so on. And this is, again, something that, that maybe students aren't that aware of, that from an ethical standpoint, establishing a completely different production system where we're, it's not based on an exploitation, which traditionally fashion has done. Fashion's been you know, one of, the, one of the, the, the main culprits of finding a geographic location, going into it and exploiting the workforce until the cost of living and the standard of living rises to the point where it's no longer equitable for that exploitative process to happen, and then they move on to another resource. And, and, and looking at this from a completely different perspective, saying, okay, let's go to a region, and instead of working on the uh, tightest possible costing and margin and so on, let's actually empower those artisans, train them, and, and, and enable them to make goods that are better, that are maybe not built in such large quantities, and that are targeted to a more discerning consumer. And I think it's, it's interesting to look at those kind of approaches. Also, you mentioned Emily Bodie, who amazing designer who started by recycling the American quilts into garments and has you know, built a, a really highly visible brand from doing this. And we, we have students in our program and certainly throughout Parsons as a whole who are engaging in these sort of practices of recycling, of upcycling, of considering not just sustainability in the, in, in the, in the biggest sense, but also in a more targeted way. And I think that's what we've tried to really encourage and continue to do through fashion management is to actually look at these sort of micro-niche opportunities for sustainable approaches and, and ethical approaches to production and to sourcing and to materiality as well. Fantastic. Fascinating. Thank you. I loved what you were saying. The, the course that I work on isn't as granular as your course. It's much more about context and understanding the kind of contextual behaviours. So like, for example, I found this, this stat that 67% of consumers think that businesses will build back better by investing in long-term sustainable and fair solutions. And that's, for me, is an insightful, important kind of topic to unpack with my students because I don't want them necessarily to be siloed in their academic work. I want them to think big. And so we'll look at things like digital, the impact of digital fashion, for example, or like new retail models that, that M just touched upon as well, or circularity, the rise of morality and civic duty for brands and retailers are, are topics that we kind of discuss. And we often get leaders from industry, like you said you do, uh, to get a kind of expert pr perspective. So last week we just had Corinna Nobbs from the Dematerialize de and a hot second and also Jody Major Hamilton from Black Neon Digital talking about sustainability and kind of building value and also this idea of actioning it. So not just having these wonderful discussions about sustainability, but actually coming up with ways to, to solve some of these issues and really action change. And then next week, we've got the brilliant Amy and Will from And Beyond Earth coming in to unpack some of these topics in a workshop. So we definitely keep this conversation and momentum going for our students. It's not just a one-off thing that we discuss and that's it. And we also seem to be having a lot more conversations about like switching the rhetoric from human first to planet first. So we're leaning into value, being it, be it your own or, or kind of like a big old, bigger kind of industry level kind of idea of what, what value is. So that's kind of the way that we unpack sustainability yet at, and the courses that I lead at LCF. I think both Shanu and Keenan, you've both highlighted that no longer is something like sustainability or inclusivity and diversity a topic that you explore within course, you know, the course modules. It's something that's an underlying pillar 
that influences throughout everything that you're talking about. And it's a bit like how we approach our content at Stylus, what we call our innovation platforms. If something isn't sustainable, then in, fa in fashion terms, then we won't talk about it. So it's really encouraging to hear that actually it's an underpinning pillar um, across everything that you're doing, as opposed to it being you know, maybe a few years ago, this would have been a specific module just around sustainability and hoping that students would get something out of that. It's really it's really moved on quite a, a long way, clearly. Thank you very much. Uh, a really fascinating conversation. So much food for thought there. And I think, you know, lots to to build on right now for anyone in the in the industry. So I'd like to thank my guests, Shanuwa Pitta, Keenan Dufty and Emily Gordon-Smith. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 